is passionate about cars with Steve Kennard, teaching drivers how to survive the world of modern motoring and imparting wisdom to the next generation of motor technicians. Hello everyone, I'm uh, standing with Steve Kennard in the forecourt of his wonderful garage, uh, first class garage. Hello Steve, how are you today? Yeah, morning Andy. Uh, no, fine. Uh, making the most of this nice weather we're having. Uh, supposed to be getting to sort of 30 degrees today, but I don't know that we'll quite reach that down here on the south coast. But um, but yeah, it's, it's lovely. Nice, pleasant, good working conditions at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it is very... Now, I'm, I'm surprised how uh, acoustically quiet it is in here at the moment. Why is that, Steve? It's normally very noisy in the workshop. I mean, you look busy. There's loads of cars here. Yeah, it, it is. I... I this couple of guys just gone out on a road test, um, and uh, every- oh, that's more like it. Yeah, just just on cue, the compressor fires <laughs> up, you know. Um, but no, I, I mean, no, it, it sounds like a garage. Yeah, yeah, I, I I don't doubt it will sound even noisier, you know, as it sort of goes on. Some someone's bound to pick up a an air tool or something like they usually do when we're trying to sort of talk. Yeah, Actually, it sounds very much like that in an operating theatre. Some of the tools they use on bones. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Actually, well, that's I, a different story. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, I mean, if I guess if you was to see uh, some of the instruments they use, you know, like hacksaws when they're, they're very similar to garage instruments, they compress their powered devices. Ab- absolutely, uh, and uh, joint splitters. I mean, we remember we use joint splitters to to sort of split ball joints. There's no different uh, in in the operating theatres except that theirs are not covered in dirty grease and road grime you know uh, you mean you don't dress up in greens and masks and things well I mean they say they're meant to be clean but I, I don't know I've got, I've got me doubts in some cases I, you know well. right, so what's, what's been happening because there's loads of cars I, I can see a Volkswagen a, a Renault a Space and a, a, a Volkswagen van at the end I recognise from around Brighton with a, with, a, with a thing in the back window I recognise what's going on uh, I know that's got an interesting story because it's a starter motor mystery isn't it yeah, yeah, it's one that we, we um, it came in a couple of weeks ago, it, it wouldn't start, we had to go and recover it. Um, so it's a Ford Transit, is it? No, no, this is a Volkswagen Caravelle. Just testing. Yeah, okay. That's why it's got a Volkswagen Ob- sticker on the back. <laughs> Obviously you need to go to... Uh, Spec yeah, savers. Exactly, yeah. I, d- I didn't want to mention it, but you know... Near, <laughs> I was looking at the wrong van, I was looking at the one in front, which is a, tr- a Ford yeah, Transit. That, that's the Transit, no, um, no the, the Transit's just in for a, a knocking noise on the front, we know what that is. Yeah. Um, and uh, on the, the Caravelle, uh, had a starting problem, we recovered it back here, um, had a look at it, and it's... Um, <sighs> There was no uh, starter motor itself was dead. There's power going into the starter motor, nothing happening. So we put a new starter on it. Fine. Tried it, road tested it, everything was fine. And um, uh, off off it went. Like, you know, so here we are again, two weeks down the road. It's come back with um, starting issues. Um, and um, it, when we've sort of pulled the new starter out, the, the, the starter teeth, the gear on the end of the starter, is all chewed up which is suggesting that the starter has been staying engaged or mm. it's been engaging while the engine's running mm. so when you've got a flywheel spinning mm. you know um, and uh, a starter motor trying to go into a spinning flywheel it's like trying to engage select a gear without yes. putting your foot on the clutch yeah. so you're running two gears together and it's they're just going to grate against each other and it looks as though that's what's happened here which we suspect is um, probably down to a, a, a bit of an intermittent fault on the um, ignition switch because um, the switch is, is must admit feeling not as precise as it should be. You know, when you turn the key on a car normally, you get 
see on cue we get we get the noise in the background now you know someone maneuvering a large vehicle yeah that's that's a workshop by hand yeah um but you 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 get this um sort of turn the key and you get a defined click for the ignition on um or the first position on a ignition another nice defined click for the second where all your lights come up on the dash Mm. and then you turn the key and you've got the spring-loaded um, part of the, the switch which operates the starter motor. Um, but we suspect there's a, a, an internal problem there which has been engaging the starter whilst the um, vehicle's already been running. Well, Steve, how does this work? Because when I was a little boy, my dad explained to me how a starter motor worked. And it was this thing called a dog that flew forward when the starter motor started to go round and engaged in the flywheel. But it's different today, isn't it? Yeah, most, most starters now, in fact all starters really are, are called pre-engaged starters. They have a solenoid built in um, where the old starters you're talking about were the starter dogs were the old um, inertia starters which had a separate solenoid. Um, they were usually a bit noisier, um, maybe a little bit more unreliable. Um, so how does it work these days? Is it actually a solenoid that pushes that cog into position? Yeah, it, it all works the same. Um, it's, it's, the, the principles and, uh, and everything still works the same. Um, you know, you, you've got a, uh, a solenoid mm. on a starter motor, which has got a, a direct feed from the battery, mm. which is the, one of the big heavy terminals, goes on to the solenoid. Mm. Um, and on the other side of the um, solenoid, because there's two large terminals, if you look at the back of a starter, there's two large terminals, and the other side has a short wire which disappears inside the body of the starter that's actually activating the motor Mm. but the solenoid is is basically a heavy duty electrical switch Um, and there's there's normally at least one terminal on the side of the solenoid um, by the two large terminals which receives power from the key Mm. so you can actually sort of run a a normal sort of 12 volt feed down a, a you you know sort of standard size wire Mm. that would actually um, operate the solenoid which as I say is like a large electrical switch Mm. inside there you've got like heavy duty terminals um, where you get this heavy click that then uh, activates that part of the switch the solenoid which then uh, in effect shorts the two terminals the two large terminals yeah. so you get direct feed from the um, uh, battery direct feed going into the motor on the starter because those things draw a big current don't they oh yeah yeah they they, um, they all sort of draw differing currents but they are all large currents I mean a lot depends on uh, the vehicles themselves you know it's obviously something that's um, like a diesel which has got heavier compressions is going to need a bit more power to turn over than let's say one of the little three-cylinder courses or the little two-cylinder um it's going back some of the old citroen um two cvs two cvs yeah yeah those sort of things you know which are not as heavy duty mm. so so yeah i mean like, you know the more compression on an engine diesels etc would would take a, a lot more to turn it and hence the motor needs to be stronger now steve i can see the back end of an interesting looking car sticking out can we go and have a look at it i don't know what it is see that one over there mm. what is that can we go and have a look uh, it's a scimitar oh it's a scimitar yeah what's the story with the scimitar um this this one here is uh, uh it's really nice 
Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a like, classic. It is a classic. I mean, it's a uh, customer's car. Um, spends most of its time in the garage. This garage? Not or, in this or, garage. No, 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 in no his, his own garage. Yeah. In his own garage, yeah, yeah parked up. Um, and you can tell it's beautiful condition. Yeah, he, t- he took it out uh, last weekend, and uh, as he sort of pulled it out of the garage, foot on the brake, the brake pedal went down to the floor. Yeah. Uh, which is not good um, a couple of pumps of the pedal and the pedal came back um, this particular car here has got just a single cylinder master cylinder it's, it's not a uh, or a single piston I should say it's it's, um, it's not a tandem system tandem system means you've got split brake in front and rear so if you get a problem with one half of the brake in uh, pipe blowout or anything like that you would still in theory have a little bit of brake in going to the other axle yeah, this one's only got one cylinder which operates all four wheels yeah. from the main excuse me the main cylinder which um, is, is connected direct to the pedal that then feeds hydraulic pressure into an independent servo unit this has got an independent servo mm-hmm. again it's a single cylinder one of those cylinders is obviously the seals inside are playing up mm. collapsing up when it's left standing so once you give it a few pumps at a pedal it would apply the pressure behind the seal and it tends to open the seal out a little bit and mm. which then starts working so what's the solution just a new seal um yeah we used to be able to buy seal kits um and i don't doubt you know with some of the classic cars you can still get seal kits in places um but um usually with most master cylinders now it's just a replacement cylinder um and presumably it's still available you can get these for the, the older uh, cars yeah parts are still around for a lot of these old classics well, you've got to remember most of the old classics you know you could buy it was almost um a case of like one part fits all mm. in a lot of cases you know go back to the old fords and a lot of their stuffs on the old fords were so interchangeable mm. um unlike today's cars today's cars you know you can almost say, like, you know, through the course of a year, it changes, a model changes so much that mm. what fits a January model might not fit a June and certainly probably wouldn't fit a December type model. They're a bit like those annoying Lego kits you get these days, aren't they, where the parts are so, are so specific to the model mm. you're making, you can't use them for anything else. Yeah, yeah, cars, cars have got an awful lot like that, um, unfortunately, but, you know. Yeah. So, so what model is this scimitar? Uh, well, that is a bloody good question. It's not shown on the back, just a scimitar, yeah, doesn't just, it? It's just a three-litre. Oh, three-litre, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's got the, the Ford uh, V6 engine in. Um, and so what's, what's the history of the scimitar? Where did they come from? Uh, believe it or not, Reliant. Reliant scimitar is, is what they were. Um, not totally au fait with them um, as to where they originated or when they produced the first sort of sports type um scimitar but but there was they they did do various models um and they were i suppose a little bit like uh, a sort of a kit car manufacturer Mm. um apart from the old reliant robbins you know so i remember the reliant robbins you still see those occasionally don't you yeah very occasionally yeah, I don't. I on don't the know. motorway. I don't, yeah, no, <laughs> very rare. I don't know whether you caught the um, Top Gear last year, uh, last week. Uh, no, I, don't, I, I missed it. it. Yeah, Jeremy Clarkson out in a Lion uh, Robin. Uh, it was just. <laughs> Did he fit? Oh yeah, he got he got in there. Like, but I, every every corner, um, he was just taking them a little bit too fast. You know, twenty five mile an hour in a Lion Robin round a corner. 
equals uh, you know sort of side or roof and, uh, and and that was it really you know so so what do you think of these latest figures from the government on the revenue from mm. car tax mm. yeah they were saying yes here we go ranting ahead yeah this this is it yeah yeah Eno- <laughs> enough of the the garage and the the motors this is now you know well politics. it has to be discussed didn't it yeah absolutely <laughs> you know we, we've mentioned in previous episode about the problems we've had with broken springs condition of the roads mm that sort of thing and uh, someone was doing that on um, it was Tuesday actually where um, they, they were having a bit of a, a rant uh, on, on the television uh, about the conditions of the roads um, and uh, and the government has um, released figures the latest figures that the government have released you know I mean if you take a bit of pinch of salt but they're saying that um, uh, the, the latest figures show that they took forty-eight billion pounds okay. uh, in road tax. What last year? In, in one year in the UK? Well, that's the latest figures. So, I mean, how up to date these figures are? I don't know whether that was for last year or the year before. But it's mm. their latest figures they produce. Mm. And out of the forty-eight billion that we're paying, um, you know, for the privilege of putting our road, cars on the road. Um, there's only 10% goes into the upkeep of the roads. So approximately 5 billion, or 4.8 billion, yeah. Yeah, see, you're rounding the figures up. If you said 5 billion, Mm. that means 43 billion pounds. Mm. You know. uh, Where's that going then? I'd love to know, you know. I mean, on that sort of score, you could say, well, I mean, if if they were to stop... um, filtering the money away and using it for the uh, the purposes that it was never ever designed for or intended for it wouldn't take too long to pay off the national debt would it i know where it's going it's going into black ops going into black ops you know yeah black ops you know you know when these these big um this is this is andy's theory now you know when these big crop circles appear in you know not far from here towards the west country yeah and you get those weird blokes men in black and their helicopters coming to check it out and guys wearing like nuclear suits taking samples and things it's paying those guys yeah, it, it, black ops. It, yeah, I suppose we've if, captured if UFOs, cool. you know, and they're making military vehicles out of them. It's, it's, this is what they're saying, is it? <laughs> I bet they're taxing them as well, aren't they? Oh yeah, they'll be taxing them for coming yeah, into wonder, the Earth's atmosphere. The, wonder what the road tax would be on a on a spaceship. I, I don't know, I, but I'm sure there would be, along with the green tax as well, and uh, and the various other taxes that you have to pay for the privilege of using a vehicle. Um, I don't know. I I mean, I. It always makes me laugh when, when they produce these statistics because, you know, the old statistics, statistics and more statistics. You know, it's lies, Do you know that 37.5% percent of all statistics are incorrect? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, uh, which, which means, of course, like, you know, we've got sort of 63% that are, that are correct, are they? Or is it incorrect? I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, it's, it's that half-empty, half-full syndrome, isn't it? Mm. You know, you, you've got one body that's being paid ridiculous amounts of money to produce figures um, to make something justifiable Mm. um, or not depending on which side of the fence you're producing the figures from Mm. so you can make figures read whatever you like you know which it's a total waste of money, isn't it? There's a heck of a lot of, of, of roadworks going on in, in Brighton at the moment, aren't there? The roads being dug up left, right and centre. Have you had anyone drive into any holes recently? <sighs> you know, my, my f- apart from the seafront, which is, as I've mentioned previously, we, we have to use a seafront road on a regular basis, running to and fro Hove, along with a lot of people, because they've 
the, the council have forced everybody to use mm. the coast road traveling east west mm. um just at the bottom of bedford street just about 200 yards from us mm. here yeah um you've got the gas board again mm. now me i hate the gas board digging the roads the way they do it that road down there bottom of bedford street for the last i think six years it's probably been dug up a dozen times mm. um it's a regular thing well they've got it dug up again you know and if, if you look at the state of the road down there they'll come along dig a hole mm. uh cone it off and then they'll disappear for weeks on end you know uh then they'll come back and do a bit and fill it back in again and uh and then leave it for someone else to come along to put a top dressing on there um and that might take another couple of weeks mm. And then they'll leave it again, and it might be another week before someone comes along and takes the cones away, even though the road's mm. been finished, yeah. mm. you know, but the cones are left there. Well, it's like on the motorway when you're, you're forced to drive at 50 for miles and miles and miles, mm. and there's a, there's, a, there's a lane coned off, and there's nothing happening in there. And it says men at work. Well, the men at work are the men laying the cones. That's what the work is, cone laying. Yeah, well, you know, you've got to find jobs for the boys somewhere, <laughs> haven't you? Uh, I mean... I'm, I'm a firm believer, you know, that we, we keep on about the condition of the roads and with the congestion and everything like that. All those sort of works on major routes should be done overnight. Firm believer that's how it should be done. It's done abroad in many countries, mm. particularly where there is uh, the same sort of thing. You know, they recognise they have congestion. Mm. Over here, we know we've got congestion. We don't do anything about it. We just say, well, you know, we'll just stuff the motorists even more. Mm. Give them more to think about, you know. I mean, you imagine now, like at the moment, the temperatures um, being warm. sat, yeah, being sat in a car in a traffic jam somewhere. Overheating problems. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's keeps something. you busy though, Steve. It is. That's that's something for another episode. The overheating with this time of year, but mm. but yeah, it, it is a um, the, these roadworks just uh, they they really great on you mm. because it's um, it creates more problems all around you know we talk about environment and everything and we've mm. mentioned it before if you have a car sitting idling mm. it will give out more emissions mm. than any car that's actually sort of mm. driving along you know if you can keep the traffic flowing at 30 mile an hour because again this 20 mile an hour i think total waste of time you try yeah, and drive worries me from an envir- get my teeth in from an environmental standpoint as well the old 20 because it's so inefficient to drive at 20, isn't it? it absolutely. I mean, you know, I don't know what planet they're on coming up with this. Well, I can it would be okay the, if the cars were all electric, yeah, but for, I, a, for a petrol car or a diesel car. Absolutely. I, I can see the sense around the schools, <coughs> those sort of mm. areas. Mm. It's fine. But to actually try and implement a 20, you drive any car at 20 mile an hour, you've got to be going uh, in second gear. Second or third gear, yeah. So third which box. means you're actually, actually revving the engine more. Mm. So you're revving the engine more, you're using more fuel. You're using more fuel, you're putting more emissions into the air. Mm. What planet are these people on and how do they come by this thinking that 20 mile an hour is good for everything? Well, the, I mean, their argument is that it, it will cut down on accidents, but I don't know what the proof is. Yeah, exactly. Proof. Show us the proof. You know, it's like the speed cameras. The, they keep saying about the speed cameras. Oh, actually, they don't call them speed cameras. They're safety cameras, they call them now. Um... But statistically... Uh, They've got revenue cameras, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, more, more money makers. Um, it is. Um, that's all they're there for. Because there is no real hard evidence to actually prove 
that it's reduced accidents. Originally, when the cameras were put up, they put them up in what they called the accident black spots. Mm. Now, you tell me, down on the seafront, again, uh, on the top here, um, down on Madeira Drive, there is a camera. It's 30 along there. The camera's set at 34. Mm -hmm. you, you go along there 33, you probably get away with it. 34, you're going to get zapped. Um, that's not an accident black spot. If you go along the end to St Dunstan's, the camera on the left-hand side there, it's 50 going along there. You'll get away with going through there at about 50, 55. Mm. Anything over, you're going to get zapped. Think of it as a 10% rule. That's not an accident black spot. And wherever you see the cameras, down on the main London road, going out of Brighton, how many cameras going up that stretch? They're not accident black spots. So the, the cameras have not been put up where accident black spots are. They've been put up for no more than to make money. I don't care what people say, it's a revenue maker. Um, it's Cars are today, you've got to remember, um, all the stopping distances... On, on the highway code and that like we're actually um, originally done uh, when the highway code was originally written and that was I think it was 1948 mm. that was when we had cars out there with drum brakes this was long before disc brakes mm. uh, probably long before servo units um, and in a lot of cases it was cables and rods mm. where it probably would take you like half a mile to stop at 20 mile an hour but now the cars, with the ABS systems and the way that the cars are nowadays, these cars will stop far quicker. Mm. Um, you know, and, and at the end of the day, you know, when they say speed kills, that's not quite true, is it? It's not the speed that's killing. It's the obstacle, you know, or, or the car. If the car hits someone, doesn't matter what sort of speed, you know, it can kill you at five mile an hour. It can kill you at 50 mile an hour. Mm. But it's not the speed that's killing you, is it? I think there is a, st a statistic uh, that says that um, there's like a watershed of 30 miles an hour, and I believe this is why they have it, that if it's below 30 miles an hour, suddenly the chances of you surviving go up to 80%, but if it's over, it goes down to 20% very quickly. There's a big sort of dip at around about 30. Yeah, yeah so... so that's, that's just pure impact at those, those speeds. Absolutely. So that's at, at 30. Mm. So where does the 20 come in? I don't know. So why are they saying, <laughs> like, you know, reduce it to 20? Yeah. You know, I suppose they just want to be well within that sort of shelf. No, no, no. They're, they're, next it'll be 10, and then it'll be back to horse and horse, carts. Horse and carts. Absolutely. That'd be green, though. That'd be really cool. Well, you know, the problem there, you see, horse and carts. You have horses in the garage, Steve. They're more dangerous. <laughs> a horse kicks out. Oh, you know, a horse, yeah, a horse yeah. thinks for itself. Yeah, yeah. You know? so. I, think, I think you should think about that. I think you should have a part of the garage, especially for horses. Turn it back to stables. Mm. Mm. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe anyway, so. looks if I could talk all day about this, I think we better we better stop it there. Um, thanks for talking to me, and um, remember, everybody, uh, come to First Class Garage in Kemptown, Brighton, UK, for all your motoring needs. Steve, thanks for talking to us. Thanks a lot, Andy. All the best. Thanks for listening to Passionate About Cars. Visit the podcast website at passionate-about-cars.com. And Steve's excellent garage, First Class Garage, can be found at www.1stclassgarage.co.uk. 